Thank you, Charlie. Um, so I want to start off by uh, a little bit of a story from this past week when I was in a discussion with a few people, and we were talking about how to get an A in spiritual health. And I can't tell you who for confidentiality. Okay, fine, fine. If you insist. It was at staff meeting, so, you know. <laughs> um, these, are, these are your pastors. Um, so we were, we were all discussing, and we all came up with lots of good things. But as uh, Pastor Charlie and I were talking about it afterwards, he mentioned something that we had all actually glanced over and neglected. Um, and we're going to get back to that because this passage is going to help to explain what one of those things is for spiritual health. So if you want to follow along in a Bible this morning, I invite you to turn to Ephesians chapter 4, and I'm just going to say a quick prayer. Heavenly Father, I thank you so much for this morning. Thank you that we get to be gathered here for you, for your glory. Lord, I pray that you would be praised um, by all of what we say this morning. By all that we, all that we sing, um, may our hearts be so in tune to adore you. And may we leave more amazed, more confident of who you are. Um, I pray that you would speak through me. And um, yeah, that, that the words I share would be yours. And that I wouldn't waste people with my words. I pray in your name, Jesus. Amen. Um, so, we are about to start this passage, in, starting in Ephesians chapter 4, which starts the second half of Ephesians. Ephesians is divided into two parts. The first part, or Act 1, if you will, was all about doctrine. And it tells the gospel story, the amazing things God did through Jesus, uh, how we're adopted because of Jesus' death on the cross that covers our sins. Um, and then there's something about unity that comes up over and over again in this book. Starting in chapter 1, verses 9 and 10, where he says, He made known to us the mystery of his will according to his good pleasure, which he purposed in Christ, to put into effect when the times reach their fulfillment, to bring unity to all things in heaven and under the earth. And, sorry, and on earth under Christ. We see this amazing divine purpose of unity of one family. So, Let's start with verse 1 of chapter 4. It says, I, therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called. So it starts off here with this very, very significant, this huge therefore statement. Because this is the transition from the first part of the book that was all about doctrine and theology to the second part of the book. And here he's going to go into well, we heard all these amazing truths, so now let's live it out. So we're getting into the, the very practical application side of the book here. And it's a challenge to respond to the truth of the gospel and reflect it in how we live our lives. And so Paul is, he's writing this from prison in Rome to this church. Ephesians is a letter um, that he's write, writing from prison in Rome to a church in the city of Ephesus, which was a church that he had started a few years back. Um, and from prison, he sees certain needs uh, that he feels the need to urge, or depending on the version you're following along, it might say exhort or encourage them or 
um, some other uh, synonym to describe that they need to act in a certain way. And he doesn't say, you know, you should live this way in three years from now, or once you've worked up the courage to it, once you feel ready and prepared. He says, I therefore, a prisoner of the, for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have received. It's, you know, just walk, walk right now. It was a command or an urging for them then, and it's an urging for us now. There's a certain amount of urgency, you could say, in his urging. Uh, and he urges us to live according to the amazing truths that he had displayed and written about just previously. So about uh, how we're adopted into God's united family, how we're alive in Christ, reconciled, we're redeemed, um, how we're declared holy, how there's unity. Um, and, and just to be clear, this isn't to say that we can attain holiness on our own efforts. That's not what it's saying at all. But because we've made alive in Christ, because we've been adopted into God's family. And they're just beautiful, beautiful truths that we get to benefit from, so let's live it out. And so because of our, our new identity displayed in the first part, we get to live differently. And, um, and, and this new way of life should be consistent with this new identity. I'm very sorry about Bill. Um, I wasn't planning on bringing this bottle, but <laughs> I uh, kind of forgot this morning. So I, I really apologize for the obnoxiousness of <laughs> this big highlight or <laughs> color bottle. So um, Paul goes on to tell us how to live in such a way. Verse two, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the spirit in the bond of peace. So here he's listing four ingredients for shared unity. Um, and these ingredients, this shouldn't surprise us, are all part of God's character. The bad news for us is that these tend to be the things that go against our flesh, against our human nature. So the first one is humility. How many of you are really humble? Come on, show of hands if you're really humble. Yeah? All right. I figured there'd be a few smart ones in the room. But if you do want to learn about humility, I know there's an actual expert on humility in the room because my brother, Shalavid, won an award for it back at camp years ago. He won the most humble award, and my, did he make sure we knew. <laughs> So part of why um, this is important and it stands as a contrast to the, the culture then and also now because at the time the people preferred and they even prized a certain amount of pride and today people prize pride as well, whether that's through explicit of just become the greatest you that you can, make a name for yourself, leave a legacy or, um, or implicitly through false humility and such. But... Um, I don't think it's any secret that pride is 
destructive to any group because it's hard to have unity when everyone's just focused on their own personal greatness. And if you've grown up playing hockey, you've probably heard to play for what's on the front of the jersey and not what's on the back because the front of the jersey has the team logo and the back has the name. So essentially you play for the team and not for your own personal glory. But humility is hard but it's worth it because humility opposes the division of self-elevating arrogance and pride. Next up, there's gentleness. Uh, this refers to a self-controlled demeanor towards others, and especially when they frustrate you. Um, gentleness is the opposite of what'll fire up an argument and fire up divisions. Usually, I, I, I have a hard time finding people who seem to think that arguments go better when people are like snapping back at each other, back and forth, and lashing out. Um, so gentleness uh, helps with unity because it opposes the division that's caused um, by vengeance, and it facilitates reconciliation. Something specific here that I want to note is that it says, with all humility and gentleness. So it doesn't mean, you know, with some humility and gentleness when you're having a good day, or with partial humility and partial gentleness, but all humility and gentleness. Next, goes into patience. Um, let's go a show of hands again. Who here is really patient? <laughs> All right. <laughs> um, I'm glad no one raised their hands for both humility and patience. Might have had a conversation there. But... Um, patience is something that's really, really hard. It's hard to wait on things. It's hard to wait on others. It's hard to wait on other people to grow. And patience is getting harder and harder as we're getting more and more used to having things the way we want it, when we want it, as soon as possible. And patience, or somewhat more accurately to the, uh, to the initial text, long-suffering It'll oppose the division that gets caused by impatience with each other. Then bearing with one another in love, or uh, in your, your Bible it might say enduring with one another because of love. So it's not just cold, like, oh, i got to just put up with you. But even when people get so, so annoying, sound like a squeaky shopping cart wheel, um, we should have this mindset um, of being willing to keep pressing towards unity in love, to keep enduring with one another because of love, because of the love of God um, and the love that we should have for each other. So it says, be eager to maintain the unity of the spirit. He says, be eager here. Um, or if you're looking in the NIV, it says do whatever. Um, we should have a certain amount of excitement. There should be some joy that comes from the truth of being united as one church, as one body, as we'll get into. And we should be eager to do what we have to, to keep it. Um, and what it says here, it says maintain the unity. It doesn't say create unity um, because the unity in the spirit already exists. We cause divisions, 
but through the Spirit, through God, we can uh, reunite with each other where there has been um, loss of relationship. And it says to do it through the bond of peace. And I thought this was really powerful as soon as I read it because it, it share, it, it's about a certain connection being held together by peace. It's a huge, huge display of unity um, because somehow we can have peace with each other. We can be held together even though we're fault-filled people. But most importantly, we can have peace because as believers, we have first and foremost peace with God. And so, and that came at a very, very, very high cost of Christ's life. And now we can have peace with each other. Um, so, continuing on, verse 4 says, There is one body and one spirit, just as you are called to the one hope that belongs to your call. One Lord, one, ba- one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all who is over all and through all and in all. Paul starts to lift, list things off here like it's a rap song, but it's really actually quite profound. It's easier, easy just to like read through it and be like, uh, okay. Um, but there's a lot of different things. There's seven different things that he lists off here that there is one of. He starts with one body. This is referring to the capital C church. If you're unsure what that means, that means all Christians throughout time, throughout uh, borders, throughout languages. It's all the body of the church. So that's one body. Then he says one spirit. This is a reference of the Holy Spirit. Excuse me. Um, the Holy Spirit, who, as seen in chapter 1, verse 14, is a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance until the redemption of those who are God's possession for, to the praise of his glory. So there's, there's one spirit, and he's the guarantee of the one hope that we have called to the one hope that belongs to your call. So this calling produces hope and that hope, uh, the, the calling being, being a child of God and the hope being of eternity and the glorious riches, um, the, the riches of his glorious eternity. Uh, sorry, the riches of his glorious inheritance in chapter one, verse 18. It's the hope of this amazing salvation. And then we have this one hope because of our one Lord. That one Lord is a reference to Jesus. Here, Paul is making sure that it's clear Jesus was not just a Jewish man in the first century. And it's also a contrast and a bit of a slap in the face to Artemis, that was the Greek goddess that was primarily worshipped in, in Ephesus because uh, like many other Greek and Roman gods, Artemis was called by the title Lord. And Paul cuts through all this, and he says, one Lord. And there is one faith, one faith that we share in that one Lord. The faith that we have in Christ's sacrifice for our sins. There is one baptism. So this is likely a reference to, as he puts it in 1 Corinthians 12, 13, all baptized by one spirit so as to form one body. It's the work that the Holy Spirit is doing, uniting us as one body. But we also have the outward symbolic uh, gesture of water baptism. 
And then he says, one God and Father. So this is God the Father. Of all, over all, through all, in all. That's a lot. Um, what this is saying is that God is near. He's caring. We can go to him and we can be one body. We can be one family, one church, because there is this one God who is omnipresent, which means he's everywhere. So we can be one church, even though we might be separated from other parts of the capital C church by uh, geographical regions, like we've said, separated by time, thousands of years, um, almost. So it's amazing um, as we see that God and Father of all, over all, through all, in all, it also goes to show um, that even though he's close and accessible, that he's still very, very powerful. It shows his sovereignty and that his power is greater and over everything. And again, this is contrast to the, the local Greek and Roman gods of the time because, as you may know, there were a lot of them. And he says, only one, only one God. If you're wondering about the number seven, and you might have heard before that seven can be used uh, metaphorically in the Bible to represent perfection, um, just to throw this out there, I don't really know if it is. It's not clear whether that's what Paul was intending or not. But either way, this passage is very, very similar to a prayer that Jesus himself prayed for us in John 17, 21 to 22, where it's, Jesus prays that all of them may be one, them being us, the church. Father, just as you are in me and I am in you, may they also be in us so that the world may believe that you have sent me. I have given them the glory that you gave me, that they may be one as we are one. There's a very clear uh, sorry, emphasis on being so unified so as to be one, because God is one. Our unity as the church is a reflection or an image, if you will, and it is possible, it is a reality because of the triune God that we serve. It's a beautiful mystery um, the, that the church would somehow be one. Not many ones, not many little ones, but truly one. Um, verse seven says, but grace was given to each one of us to the measure of Christ's gift. Therefore, it says, when he ascended on high, he led a host of captives and he gave gifts to men. In saying he ascended, what does it mean but that he also descended into the lower regions, the earth? He who descended is the one who also ascended far above all the heavens that he might fill all things. Here we see that grace was given, it says specifically to each one according to Christ's gift. And this each one is reflected at the end in the last verse of our passage as well, as you'll see. But what this is talking about is, yes, there is saving grace, but this is talking about spiritual gifts. Um, and there, is, there are all kinds of different gifts that he has given to each one of us. 
And it's really, really cool because it shows that this is not for me, I'm not that clever, I'm not that smart, but it's about unity and not uniformity, um, even though there's this amazing diversity of gifts in the church that God gives. And he gives these roles, as we'll see soon, um, that are empowered by the same one spirit to grow and to build the church. So we can be united as one, yet still different. Um, And though this isn't going to be a, you know, an exhaustive list, it's going to be a short list. We've heard other lists in weeks past, Uh, but these gifts really are just a beautiful display of Christ's grace. And then if you're wondering, uh, you're seeing a, a couple little brackets in, in your Bible. You're like, what's that about? Um, it's not an accident. It's uh, just because Paul goes on a little bit of a tangent here. And the tangent was significant enough to put it in brackets, where he's talking quickly about Christ descending to earth and then ascending back up. It's similar to Ephesians, or sorry, Philippians chapter 2, where he talks about the humiliation and exaltation of Christ um, as he emptied himself, died on the cross, and was exalted. Um, unfortunately, it's a beautiful, beautiful little chunk of scripture here, but we can't get into because of time, and I know you guys want to eat lunch eventually, so uh, we got to keep moving, but it does connect with us this morning at the end where it says that he might fill all things. Uh, It's continuing with God's omnipresence, making unity of the church possible. Verse 11, and he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ, until we all attain to the unity of the faith and and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ, from whom the whole body joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself in love. Oh boy. Um, So this is the rest of our passage for this morning. And as you might be able to tell, there is a lot that's been jam-packed into these two crazy run-on sentences that'll give any of you nightmares if you're an English teacher. But Paul starts by listing some gifts of leadership here. And these are the gifts that he lists in this passage. He lists apostles, prophets, evangelists, shepherds, teachers. Um, and, and these are gifts to the church. These individuals are listed as gifts to the church. Even though it's not an exhaustive list of leadership roles um, and leadership giftings within the church, uh, he still gives this list uh, to, to help uh, drive home the point of the importance of of good, solid leadership, solid teaching. Um, And just as he had mentioned before, there there are gifts for everyone, for each one. But here, these are ministers of God's word, and prophets is listed in here, and it was something that we've heard a few times in this series when it comes to talking about prophecy, is the need for it to align with biblical truth. 
But here we see these gifts that are, exist to equip the saints. And when the saints are equipped, it's so that they can do the work of ministry. And when they do the work of ministry, it builds up the body. And when the body is built, being built up, it brings unity of faith and knowledge in Jesus, which leads to spiritual maturity. So the saints, um, or if you, if you have the NIV in front of you, his people, it speaks to our identity again in him and how we can mature. So as the body is built up, it'll work more and more cohesively. Different parts are gonna learn to work and function together for, um, for the better. But it, he, he puts in a verse, verse 14, to contrast. So he talks about mature adult versus children. So we see a contrast of maturity versus immaturity. We see um, adulthood or mature manhood um, versus child. We see uh, singular versus plural. And so there is one mature adult works as one body and then there are numerous immature children, a bunch of individuals, uh, separate, not united, just tossed to, back and forth by the waves. It's kind of like in Madagascar when the crates fall off the boat and they're in the ocean and they're just floating around at the mercy of wherever the waves will take them. But the last contrast is that we see one being, being led by Christ and then we see many um, being led by people in unbiblical deception and lies that are destroying them. Um, just want to read verses 15 and 16 again. It says, rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ, from whom the whole body, joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. It says, to speak the truth in love. Um, I heard this, uh, this quote a year ago or so. I, I don't fully remember how it goes, but it's something along the lines of like, truth without love is heartless and love without truth is hypocritical. But here we see truth in love. We see truth and then there's this casing of love um, as it's spoken. And that leads to growth in Christ as one unified body. Christ is the head, he leads he commands the rest of the body. The body's held together at the joints. The joints, they equip the body to, you know, function properly and not just be like a stiff plank of wood. And it's important for, it's important for the, the joints to be well-oriented, for them to function properly, for the body to function properly. If you've ever had a, a, like an injury to any joint, you will know how important they are for your daily functions. Um, this week I was driving uh, between sources in St. John's and the best part of a hatchback is not the fact that it's easier to back into parking spots. It's not that it's easier to like throw things into the trunk. It's the back little wiper. It really is. But I was driving and I miss those things so much. I drive a sedan now, but, um, the back wiper on this car was upside down, and it was just wiping the back of the car. 
And I was like, oh, well, that's interesting. Um, so the, this joint uh, that attaches the wiper was completely the wrong side, and it was being counterproductive. It wasn't helping. Um, and this shows, like as Paul listed a bunch of spiritual gifts to help equip the church, um, spiritual leaders, it shows just the importance of good, sound biblical instruction. So I want to thank Pastor Charlie and the rest of the team for the amazing uh, biblical teaching that we get here, uh, the biblical guidance that we get here. So uh, thank you guys so much for that. We are so blessed by your ministry. But we see the body that's held together by the joints so that each part will work properly. And when each part can work properly, then the body can grow into strengthening and maturity. It's kind of like working out, right? But you work out for the sake of the body, which glorifies Christ. Um, It's not for self-glory, not for self-edification. For most of us guys, myself included, a couple years ago, when we get into working out, we start with just the vanity muscles, right? We go pecs and arms, because you gotta be able to flex big. But this isn't what this is saying. This is saying that it should be for the growth of the body. Eventually, when you're working out, you start to realize, oh, maybe I should do, you know, I gotta do some squats, and I gotta do all kinds of other things so that my body is actually healthy. Um, So that everything will function properly for the glory of Christ and not for the glory of those specific parts. And it's not for, if you're coming to church and you come like once a week and you're like, okay, good, got my weekly dose of Christian stuff and you just go back into your week and it doesn't affect your life. Um, You just come here, you hear things from professional Christians or whatever. That, I'm really sorry to say, but your perspectives are, are a little bit off here. Um, the church isn't to be focused on individual consumerism. That doesn't lead to unity. Uh, we're here for mutual serving for a greater purpose. Through this mutual service, there's edification, there's building up of the body. Uh, I thought about this a lot, actually, last year when I was in the hospital, and I drew on my phone like a bunch of little dots representing different people, and at first I drew a bunch of arrows pointed at each individual dot um, as representative of when we're just focused on ourselves, and then I drew a bunch of other little dots, and then made all the arrows point from one dot to another dot, and it formed this kind of like web, like spider web, if you will, of support. Um, But spiritual health isn't just an individual thing. And this is where I'm getting back to the discussion at staff meeting about how to get an A. We said all great things again, you know, rest and greater appreciation for God's word and more passion for him. Um, But they were all just individual practices and we all neglected uh, building up in love for the church. So it builds itself up in love and as it grows, as the body grows, it is nourished, it's hydrated by love. There you go. <laughs> um, 
I see Pastor Charlie came up. I think I'm running out of time. Um, but um, this, is, this is really interesting because this church receives a letter about three decades later uh, from Jesus that it's in Revelation chapter two, if you're curious. And they got the theology stuff down pat. They really did. But Jesus says, yeah, I hold this against you. You have forsaken the love you had at first. Um, so they, they were doing all the work. They were doing great. They really were. But they were neglecting love. Um, so once again, just to um, mention this again, all believers are given spiritual gifts for the edification of the church. There is one body, one spirit, one hope, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. And, he, and we receive these gifts so that the saints can be equipped for the work of ministry to build up the body for the unity of faith and knowledge in Jesus, which leads to spiritual maturity. So let's use these gifts and be built up in love. And if you're here this morning and you're like on the outside of this, you're like, nah, I'm not a Christian. I don't know if I'm interested in this or not. But something inside of you is, really is. Um, I wanna encourage you to uh, come talk to me or come talk to one of the, the pastors here. We would love, love, love for you, uh, for you to come to know him. There absolutely is room for you in this amazing family. Heavenly Father, I thank you for this day. I thank you for this morning once again. I pray that we would truly be experiencing you this morning through unity. Lord, thank you for the powerful experience of you that uh, this unity of the church is. Thank you, God, that you're here with us. I pray in your name, Jesus. Amen. Well, so uh, now is our time of uh, Q&A. There's a text number you can text questions to. Also, you can raise your hand. Um, this is just like an illustration of what I feel like. I assigned you a kind of difficult passage. I'm not going to lie. There's a lot of content in like 15 verses where I just feel like you just gave us a water bottle like that size and you were like... <laughs> Drink it all. <laughs> and that's my fault. So uh, thank you, Adrian. Thank you for that. Um, and that ridiculous water bottle. <laughs> um, but yeah, yeah, it's a lot of content. So I, I, I understand if you have questions because sometimes with those really long runoff sentences that you alluded to, it's like having to gulp an entire water bottle like that. So, uh, so yeah, you can text your questions in, or you can, uh, you can raise your hand. Is there any, anyone in the room right now? I do have a text message, actually. So um, you can raise your hand, and the mic runner will head up to you. Um, but in the meantime, here is uh, what came in on the text line. You know, a lot of the verse was about unity. Uh, what should we do when there is different points of view among people? Does peace mean no confrontation slash argument? If unity means only one way of thinking, then whose should it be? Well. 
That's an easy one. Um, There's something to be said about letting bygones be bygones. Um, (laughs) That's my deep answer there. But there's obviously going to be disagreements, right? People are going to disagree about all kinds of different things. Um, And... And some things are, are very deep. Some are very, very significant spiritual things and biblical things that people are going to disagree on. But at the end of the day, we should keep the unity um, with the bond of peace with each other as the church. And letting, if there's things that we need to just let slide, like what we do is we speak the truth in love for the growth of the body. And if there's things that we need to just let slide because they're not going to get resolved, then sometimes we just got to let it slide. Yeah, thanks, Adrian. I I agree. A lot of times, um, unity doesn't mean we all agree on the same things. Um, There there was another text question that just came in that that spoke to this, actually. The question is, can you clarify more the difference between unity and, and, and uniform or uniformity, which means unity in Christ doesn't mean that we all agree on the same things, but what it does mean is that Jesus and his heart for oneness is more important to us than our perspective on these lesser important things that we're prone to argue about. Like, if we're going to get into a big argument about politics or or, or some secondary or tertiary, you know, theological matter. If we're going to get into an argument about that and, and cause disunity, then that shows that our view on politics is more important to us than the oneness and the unity of Christ. So understanding the gospel in God's heart for unity means we just have a, a proper perspective where in love, you mentioned this, speaking the truth in love, there might be a time to discuss our differences, but always with that foundation with, of, of love and unity. Um, was there anything in the room? No? Quiet, quiet, quiet. Uh, you're all quiet today. On me, so yeah, <laughs> they're taking it to heart. <laughs> oh wait, okay, hold on. Oh, there's a bunch of things coming through in the text line. So nothing in the room. Okay, hold on. All right, how about when bringing a confrontation in love? Uh, to, uh, I'm not really sure what this is. Named. How about when bringing a confrontation in love to kids equals disturbing the unity? Uh, what if the kid feels that holding a limit or a boundary feels like not love to them? Okay, so now, now we're talking about parenting. <laughs> I think that's more for you. <laughs> you have parents. <laughs> um... You know, it's actually a good, a good, sometimes in love, we still have to have hard conversations. Um, in love, for the sake of unity, doesn't mean sweeping things under the rug. Um, there is real wisdom involved in knowing 
um, what did you say? Let bygones be bygones. And, and here's something that I try to practice, and I, I, I could do better at it. Um, if, if something that I try to practice is that if for the sake of unity, something can just be forgotten and not even discussed, like you were just rude to me or you just said something that I don't like or something I disagree with, wisdom to know it's not really even worth bringing up. Just let it go. Let it go, let it go. Even if I'm personally offended, let it go because it's not something that we really need to discuss. But having the wisdom to know well, this is actually something we need to talk about in love. And sometimes my personality is to just err on the side of sweeping things under the rug. Sometimes it's just like, oh, let's not talk about this. Let's not talk about this because I don't want to have an uncomfortable conversation when it, we really need to talk about it. And other times, um, maybe with my children, um, I'm quicker to be like, what are you doing <laughs> when maybe it's just something we can, we can let go? So, um, so anyways, it requires wisdom to know when we need to have those hard conversations in love. And it takes humility to have it actually in love and not just, you know, in anger, but I'm going to say it nicely even though I'm just fuming, <laughs> you know. So... Uh, anything in the room? He can hand, oh, Roger's got one for you. Okay, good. Oh, and over here too. I don't want to let you go off easy, so. <laughs> How is, um, you know, the vision of the church started even from the days of Paul when they were arguing, uh, who am I following Apollos or Paul or Jesus? Um, and it moved on to history to, until today. We all come from different churches' backgrounds. And we still have this feeling of I came from a different church and I was hurt in there and and we look at it from different perspectives, doctrinal, some of them, some of them are real people, hurting real people. But at the end of the day, how do we as a church look at other churches, starting here at Westview, and explain to people like you and me to stay connected, regardless of there is a difference in a church doctrinal th things that we may agree on, disagree on it. Because I find this really relevant in our church here at Westview. Yeah, 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 absolutely. Thank you for that. Um, definitely, there's been all kinds of division throughout the church um, many, many times. Um, I, I once saw a, like, cartoon-drawn, uh, like, tree diagram where it, it showed the history of the church, which if you, it, it was, like, actually pretty accurate, but it didn't show any of the actual, like, uh, denominations mentioned. It just all led to like different boxes that all the boxes ended in heresy. And it was like heresy, 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 my church. Um, <laughs> as being like straight down from the cross. Like, <laughs> um, and, and 
you know, as, as people, we can start to feel that, that way sometimes. Uh, it's like, you know, we got it. We got it all figured out. All these other churches, they're wackos. Um, but one of my, my favorite things that I look forward to every month nowadays is uh, the Common Ground Young Adults Rally. It's an opportunity for young adults across Montreal to get together once a month um, and praise God and live in fellowship and unity for the night. And I can guarantee that there are all kinds of opinions in that room um, on all kinds of different things. But at the end of the day, we're uniting around the fact that we have this one faith in our one Lord. Um, and, you know, there are going to be things that are, are very significant uh, that are going to that are going to cause some divisions. And I, I'm not saying that. Um, yeah, I'm not saying that every division was necessarily wrong or, um, you know, that. You know, there are definitely, definitely uh, cults and false religions that have branched off of Christianity. But in terms of Christianity, where, um, you know, Jesus truly is the one who saves us from our sins, I think that's what, something that we can and should unite around. Yeah, uh, I, the passage that you read today, make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. There's one body, one spirit, just as you were called to one hope when you were called, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all who is over all and through all and in all. In Christ we are one and he is in all of us. And there's this command to value that unity, to strive for the unity. This is... We were talking about this passage this week. The first three chapters of Ephesians is all about the heights of the glory of God's love and the message of the gospel. And then in chapter four, it begins with this, okay, well, this is what you do about it. This is how you live. If Jesus came, lived, saved you, and there's a father in heaven who loves us, this is what you do. And the first thing he says is strive for unity. This is living in his image. This is so important and uh, something that, that we read sometimes here because there's the question of other churches and you're going to find some churches that are wildly different in how they worship and perhaps even wildly different in some of the things that they believe. Um, I'm going to read something that we read here often. And this is very old. I believe in God the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth. I believe in Jesus Christ, his only son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit and born of the Virgin Mary. He suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. He descended into hell. The third day he rose again from the dead. He ascended to heaven and is seated at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. From there he will come to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and life everlasting. Amen. I'm um, just a little, little asterisk. When it says the Catholic Church, that means the word for universal. This is beautiful. This is, this is, if you don't know, this is called the Apostles' Creed. It's very old. What I'll say is like this is the essence of Christianity boiled down into the key things that we as Christians believe. And 
There are some quote-unquote churches that deny aspects of this, and that's where, you know, Adrian mentioned like cults, where there are sometimes we have to say, hey, you talk about Jesus, but you're, you're not Christians. But for the most part, other churches, we embrace this together. And while we might disagree on some things, we have this great command to strive for unity with our brothers and sisters who believe in one Jesus, one faith, one baptism, one, one, one. And there's this idea that that's how the world is going to see. That's how we are going to rise above um, sin. The, the, the world will see the way the church functions and lives as one. And they'll say, God is here among you. By this, the world will know. Isn't that what you read? How does it go? You just read it. <laughs> oh, it, it didn't mention the, the world in the past. But, but, but by this, everyone will know that you are my disciples. Oh, yeah, the, the high priestly prayer. Yeah. Yeah. By the way yeah. that you love one another. So. All right, a bunch awesome. of things came Thank in the text you. line. Sorry. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> we're out of time. Adrian, you got, you got people thinking because uh, <laughs> we got to. Sorry if we didn't get your text. Um, uh, I'm gonna, I'll pray and close this off. Father God, I pray that we can live and function as one. Um, and in doing so, uh, glorify you and reflect you. And give us the humility, the humility to do this, Lord. Um, to seek you and honor you above um, our differences, different perspectives. And... Uh, and pray that you would receive glory through our oneness. In your name, Jesus, amen.